Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. You should celebrate yourself every day, but some days you should celebrate with jewelry. Whether you want to commemorate an unforgettable moment or just bring some added sparkle to your collection, Blue Nile can offer you expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com today and experience the ease and convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. Hello everyone and welcome to Histories of the Unexpected. He's the famous historical adventurer Dr Sam Willis. And he is Professor Extraordinaire of Early Modern British History at Plymouth University. He is Professor James Daybell. Hello Sam. Hello James. Nice to be back isn't it? It's very good. Very now, good. Um, Histories of the Unexpected of course is the show where we demonstrate that everything, even the most unexpected of subjects has a history and those subjects link together in unexpected ways. Who knew for example Sam, who knew that the handkerchief, the humble handkerchief in fact all about escapes during World War II, medieval knights, gendered education and, did you know this, Monopoly. I didn't know it but I want to know and about cricket those. bats. I didn't know that either. How do we do that? Are we going to do the, we do the history of handkerchiefs? We, in, in, in time, we mm. can do that. Yes. Is your gender point? Gendered school? Gendered, gendered handkerchiefs. Gendered handkerchiefs. Yes, yes. stitching on handkerchiefs. Mm. Girls being taught to behave and act in certain ways by stitching things into handkerchiefs. Mm. We touched on that in our needlework. We did, we did. You can never get enough needlework. Well, today, yes, we're going to do colour. We are. I'm excited yes. about this. Um, I'm very excited by colour. You were inspired, weren't you? I was inspired. So we were doing our Histories of the Unexpected live show at the BBC History Weekend in beautiful Winchester. And before I went on, I was in uh, the Great Hall, an amazing building in Winchester, which you should all go and see if you haven't seen it. And I was moderating Dan Jones and Marina Amaral, who were talking about their amazing book, The Colour of Time. So basically, it's a, it is a book about black and white photographs which have been coloured and it brings the past alive in a, in a unique way. And it's, it's, it's an amazing book and it really got me thinking about the history of colour. So we are going to um, try and wrap our minds around the history of colour, aren't we? We are. OK, right, are. T- top of your head. Top There's... of my head. Well, top of my head is, is what colour means across different historical periods. So how colour, in people's interpretation of colour has changed. OK. Um, and... Also, meanings of colour that are associated with political groupings. You know, you think about political parties, red, blue, that kind of divide. You think about the gendered differences, boys and girls being blue and pink. That's a relatively recent phenomenon. Oh, I didn't In know In the 1950s. Huh. Um, and before that, it was, it, was, it was certainly in the West, in America, it was pink for boys and blue for girls, because the pink for boys was a sort of watered-down version of red and sort of little little yeah. men, and, and blue was about um, the Virgin Mary and about the blue associated mm. with, with Mary. I like so, that. So, so who knew? Who knew loyalty that? and gender. 
loyalty and gender. I like and the loyalty thing. Because I was watching a bit of football last night. I'd never watched football, but I was I was I was watching the England uh, Spain match and thinking about the colours of, of of the kits and the colours of all the flags yep. and what was going on there and um and how how I don't know the answer to this, but um I thought it'd be interesting colour and sport basically. Yep. Where um the bl- up the blues up the reds all of that sort of stuff. Yeah. I know that um Newcastle football strip didn't used to be black and white. It used to be red and white like Manchester. Right. Um, but it was interesting how how it with with, with the with the uh, national colours as well um, when they were kind of settled and when they were fixed, particularly considering that there were always a variety of national flags. Yeah. Which one did they settle on? Why did they settle on it? Um, and how has that survived today? And how has it changed? So um, orange colour colour and loyalty. Orange Dutch Dutch the orange uh, the House of Orange. And mm. if you think about uh, Northern Ireland during the marching season, the Protestant Orangemen. Yeah. You know, orange is a very it's a very political colour and really means something to yeah. to those people. It's interesting. And the um Purple. Or Romans. Purple is a Romans, but also royalty. Yeah. So it beca- it's a, a figure associated with royalty, bishops. So yeah. it's, it's associated and with the Holy power. Roman Empire and the Holy Roman Empire. You know, yes. that, that, that guy with the gloves that we talk about before in our podcast on gloves and in our live show, yes. the Holy Roman Emperor, yep. had these amazing jeweled gloves, didn't he? But he yep. also had extraordinary robes of silk and purple, yes. purple yes. silk as well to link yes. him with, yes. link him with Rome. Yes. Uh, the Chinese have their own complete kind of distinct colour system and coding. Which I can't go on and explain about now, but I know it's worth having a look at. I mean, the other the, one of the obvious things is is sort of black and white and that kind of binary, you know, that throughout history has had a political edge to it. Yeah. In terms of, you know, in terms of sort of organising the world and systems and 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 codifies racism. Yeah. And structurally, mean you know, has has been so significant. One of the things I enjoyed in the Colour of Time book. So there are all sorts of these these wonderful photographs which have been coloured by Marina, and they're absolutely extraordinary. They bring out the kind of the joyous riot of colour that is in everyday life, apart from photos of Brunel. <laughs> so he's this nineteenth-century guy. He always wears a black suit. He always wears a white tie. He always wears sorry, a white shirt. He always wears a black tie. He always wears a black hat, and he's always photographed against the backdrop is something that's grey. So um, even if you colour Brunel photos, they're all black and white. <laughs> and, th- and this is a, this is a book that basically has been they're black and white photographs that have been coloured. Yes, on purpose. Uh, but there are World War Two photos photos from that era that are in colour. Yes, not very many of them, but they are. You know, they really do bring that period to life in a way that you yeah. know that that one doesn't get the sense of it in in black and white and that film there's a documentary called world war ii in color Mm -hmm. which which is which is part it's using it's put together using original footage that survives in color but then also i was reading about this last night there are also um much of it has been colored Uh so it's a mixture so it's a mixture but it's quite extraordinary so where are you going to go with after we've we've thought about after we've spun our brains like this where are you going to go with color I wanted to go to the Viking world oh, because we love the Vikings. We are the love Vikings. We are, we're writing a little series of books, aren't we? Our histories of the unexpected. And there's a chapter series. in there called on colour, isn't yeah. there? Yeah. So we're doing one on the Tudors. We've done that. We're doing one on the Vikings, which yep. is filled up of twenty different chapters, and there's one of them on colour. So one of the things I, I really I loved about the Viking colour is um, some, some amazing researchers have put together a kind of palette of oh, of the colours. Yeah, of, of the colours that the Vikings had available to them. And this palette of colours was very... The colours were very simple and they were very bold. So the, the, the Vikings 
we now know painted stuff or made clothes in certain colours but they wanted them to be seen. They weren't complex colours. And there's an extraordinary fact which I discovered about changing colours. Here we are. We know that the Vikings didn't mix their, their bold, simple colours with white to lighten them or black to darken them. That's something that only became common in the Renaissance because it wasn't even possible to mix colours either. You couldn't mix colours before 1900. So you couldn't make blue out of yellow and green. Is that right? My, my childhood colour memory is... Yes, it's fairly, I think that's right. I think that's right. <laughs> or, you know, um, red and white didn't make pink. Right. All that happened is that the, um, they just became a kind of like a horrible, grey, nasty mixture. It's normally um, my, my, my painting skills normally end up with a horrible mixture. So, uh, yeah, because it, that was also the impurities in the pigments. So the colours that they were actually using meant that you couldn't mix them. Anyway, um, the result of this is that all, all the colours in the Viking Age, particularly before the Renaissance, were very, very, very simple and very bold. And I, I love that. That was a real discovery So for me. this palette that they're putting together yeah. is rather like a sort of Faroe and Ball... It is. Uh, ...or Dulac sort paint of... Cards. Sw- paint cards. Paint cards. And I imagine that they... What they've done is, through the archaeological finds mm-hmm. that survive, they've, be, they've, they've identified particular colours and, and used that to map out yeah. this sort of... You know, technicolor world. Yeah, but that in itself raises some interesting problems and questions. So, there's a how do you how do we know about Viking colors? One thing is these colors that survive from uh, ship burials, like the Oseberg oh, ship yes, burials, yes. Where, where where you have a burial, you've got someone who's buried with with all of their their goods to take them through to the afterlife. They're in ships or carts. So there's there's usually some kind of furniture involved. Lots of it's been painted. There's jewellery that's been painted. Now, some of those things, textiles in particular and wood, we know was very, very bright. So at the Osberg ship burial, there was loads of silk that they mm. found. And the, the colours were very, very vivid on the silk. And then they faded away dramatically when they were exposed to modern light in the modern world. So I love this idea of a Viking colour kind of very briefly being in the modern world and then and then disappearing again because because of its exposure out of the burial mound so you have burial mounds um they found uh, painted planks on a stave church in norway stave churches are those churches which were so important to the christianization of the viking world as you know james i'm very into my modern scientific techniques i do i do, I do. <laughs> yes <laughs> and they have developed a modern scientific technique for identifying colors that are invisible to the human eye that's quite cool. So oh my you, God, what's it called? I don't know. Oh, okay. I, I'm going to find out. But there is a technique, and um, it sounds absolutely amazing. So you look at a plank. There's a plank that survived off this church or a ship, and it looks brown because it's made of wood. But actually, if you use this cunning scientific technique, you can see the colours there. Oh my God! Um, and the other aspect of, of colours that survived are, 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 or most vividly, are beads. Oh yes. So, yes. so uh, glass and ceramic and di- different types of beads, which were worn as jewellery. And they have not faded right. in colour. They're as bright and as vivid as, as they ever are. And you get these wonderful um, discoveries in places like Hedeby, which is one of the most important archaeological sites yet discovered from the Viking Age, which is a trading town in the south of Jutland. And they found thousands of beads, thousands of them. And from that, we've understood all sorts of things about Viking fashion and culture and what colour means. So I think one of the most interesting things was the discovery that there were some beads of certain colours in some areas of the Viking site, particularly burials. So that yellow, for example, was, was not 
that common in certain areas of the site. And that means that mm. they identified certain thoughts, issues, emotions, ideas with right. certain colours. And also that this changed over time because Hedby was occupied for hundreds of years. And so they have more of certain colours at certain times. You can see fashions changing as well as their association with ideas. And you can connect it to trade as well, yeah. sort of colours coming in. This idea of... Um of lost colour, I think, is interesting. Yes. You're particularly from a, a museological perspective, so from the perspective of museums, that their role and responsibility is to house and preserve artefacts from the past. And so often what is lost is that kind of vibrancy of colour over the centuries. Mm. And, you know, you can see this in, in, in clothing collections. And so how you preserve things in museum conditions is really important. Now, one thing that I came across uh, actually just yesterday was a tiny little bag mm-hmm. um, that belonged to a slave who gave it as a gift to her daughter uh, in the, I think it's around the 1840s, so just before slavery is abolished in the United States. And she gave it to her nine-year-old daughter, as she was being sold. The Mm. mother was never to see this girl again. And what's fascinating about this from a colour perspective is that the colour is absolutely preserved on this bag. How has it managed to be preserved? Do we know what what its history was? Basically, what's happened is it was passed to the nine-year-old daughter. The nine-year-old daughter then kept it as a a sort of an heirloom. It was her one memory of her mother and then passed it down to her own family. Mm. And... Um, and then I think it ends up with um, it ends up with a a granddaughter later on who then passes away. It goes into a goodwill uh, home, a goodwill shop in the United States, and it is picked up. But what's extraordinary is that the the stitching on it is still there, and it's stitched by one of the by a grandmother in 1920. So it's slightly later on by Ruth. I'm going to come over and have a look at it. Yeah, and I'm just going to read it to you. My great-grandmother Rose, mother of Ashley, um, gave her this sack when she was nine years old in South Carolina. It held a tattered dress, three handfuls of pecans, a braid of Rose's hair. Um, It told her, I be filled with love always. She never saw her again. Ashley is my grandmother, Ruth Middleton, 1921. I mean, isn't that just the most extraordinary artifact that survives such a sort of beautifully stitched we're back to our needlework here beautifully stitched artifact it survives in washington dc in the museum of um african-american heritage and culture and it's the color of the stitching isn't it it's the color of it yes it's it's a sort of dark red yeah it be filled with my love always is is stitched in in beautiful pink yeah a very moving thing extraordinary Mm. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. 
does make you think about how. I mean, so that would have been kept cared for, and the color, its colours would have been cared for as much as anything. I yes. suppose. I mean, yes. people have preserved it, and you have to look yes. after these these things to make sure that the colours survive. Yeah. I think the idea of museum stuff as well is interesting. So how do you how do you interpret for the public a item that has lost its colour? Yes, very. Dix- very difficult. So whether it's a dress, whether it's curtains or a tapestry or something, it's all very well saying this would have been very colourful. Yes. Um, I suppose one option is to make recreate it. Yes. Have a recreation. Um, I mean, I can think of this not in a museum environment, but I can think of it in terms of colour and the Reformation. Okay. And uh, this is sort of really powerfully expressed in Simon Sharma's History of Britain. And what he's trying to get across in the in the episode on the Reformation, is when the Reformation comes in, there are all sorts of proclamations put forward about changing the physical structure of the church. The late medieval church was a riot of colour. You know, the walls were painted in, in terracotta. The, there would be statues. There would be um, all sorts of icons and, uh, around the place. I mean, it was a really sort of vibrant bells and smells and colourful place. And then the Reformation came in and all of this was stripped away, you know, famously smashing of the altars. You know, so a lot of the rood screens were, were pulled down. The rood screens are those beautiful painted screens yep. that um, separate the, the, the altar and, and the priest and the, and the congregation. The walls were, were whitewashed so that they were, they, were, they were very plain because the Reformed faith was a faith that was stripped of colour. Mm. image and imagery and what Sharma does in this episode and it's brilliant I use it for teaching and explaining the Reformation all the time he uses CGI in Long Melford Church which is a beautiful old church in Suffolk and we've got a church warden's account of precisely what the late medieval church would have been and then they reconstruct it with graphics the wall suddenly is is coloured in in terracotta you've got um, decorations going up the wall. The saints' uh, statues are back. Um, so, colour history of colour is all about the Reformation. It is, yeah, and, and also, I mean, we live in Exeter, and there is the very famous West Absolutely. Front of Exeter Cathedral. If you if you are in Exeter or near Exeter, or even if you're not, come to Exeter and go look at the cathedral because it is one of the wonders of the medieval world. Um, it, it has a carved screen. We've talked about this before. Yes. In hands, history of hands, or was it beards? And beards. Beard I can't remember. There's a guy beard pulling tongue. his beard on it. There's a carved screen uh, in sandstone Yeah. Uh, on the west front. It's absolutely amazing. Yes. And it's amazing as it is, but it used to be painted. Yes. It's one of these examples. There are actually quite a lot of them where, where things that used to have been painted no longer are. Yep. Yep. And... So it's not just just um, the, the world of black and white photography, which suddenly seems devoid of or, or drained of its colour. Um, in many respects, the medieval world is as well. Yes. Mm. But at the same point, you can say, in the same breath, you can say, OK, these, these medieval churches were very colourful, but there are certain periods in, par- in the past which were more colourful than others. Yes. Because yes. colours were invented at certain times. Yes. I don't know about it off the top of my head, but I know blue, for example, is a colour, and it's all to do with trade. Um, it's all to do with Americans as well. Royalty, blue blood. Yeah, yeah that's, that's... Xenophobia. Yeah. The, um, I'm just thinking of dyes. So we, we know with the Vikings... Wode. They had... Um, 
Lichen from coastal cliffs gives them purples, reds, pinks and violets. The madder plant gives them reds. Woad or indigo gives them blues. Um, a deep orange yellow is produced from something called orpiment, which I'd never heard of. Hmm. And gradually, you know, the discovery of how to make and manufacture more colours as well. Yes. I mean, red was very rare, particularly, which is yes. why the popes ended up wearing red, because it was very valuable and it was expensive to get. That came from a tree in South America. Yeah. Um, I mean, I think what's also interesting is how do you, how do you recreate that sort of colour scape yeah. in the past? We've talked in, throughout these podcasts and indeed in our live show, we've talked about the soundscape We've talked about the smellscape, but the colourscape, I think, is really interesting. It's fascinating what you're saying about the Vikings. You can do that for the Elizabethan court as well. Um, Not only through paint. We've got the paintings that survive, which are extraordinary. I've talked in the past about New Year's gift rolls, and these these survive in great number for the Elizabethan period. And what you have there is a description of all the items that are given to the Queen. And if you read through them, they are a riot of colour. And a lot of care and attention was taken in giving Elizabeth precisely what she wanted. And in fact, if you go through the gift rolls and you look at the different colours that are being given in different garments, you can piece together from that the political kind of networks of people who are colluding together to give gifts of you know, dresses, dresses and matching items. Of it clothing. must have been so powerful, though, if, you, if you've been given gifts a lot and then someone comes up with a green one. Yeah, exactly. And, and yes. like, whoa! Yes. Yes. Or, or, and it must have happened with jewels as well yes. in the 19th yes. century. Someone comes up with, with a ruby or a sapphire. Yes. I mean, diamond's pretty impressive, but it's the, it's the clarity of the transparency, it's the clarity of the whiteness yep. of the yep. diamond. Yep. Um, and... No, that must have been so powerful. We're just we're flooded with colour. We're saturated yep. with it now. And if someone turns up with something that's purple, I don't blink an eye. But it, you know, it must have been quite extraordinary. Would you wear purple? Uh, yes, my my daughters want to put me in purple uh, all they? the time. Yes. <laughs> so funny. I want to talk about. Just, um, can I just finish off no, this point before do. it disappears please out of do. my head? The the idea of certain periods and uh, being more colourful than others, but certain locations are more colourful than others, not just periods. Mm. And if mm. you look through the colour of Time Book. The, Would you uh, like it? The no, I'm fine actually. Okay, uh, I can see it from here, and it's, it's making it. me thick. That's all I need. Looking beautiful. Um, the very thick. The re- two of the really striking ones is 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 one from the from Central Asia. It's the Silk Road somewhere. I'm not sure, but it'll be be somewhere around kind of modern Uzbekistan, where where these there's a there's a group of merchants or traders or warriors, but they're dressed in the most mind blowing silks, and uh, the the colours of them are just extraordinary. And the Native Americans. Yep. Where where you've you've got some some warriors from a certain tribe again I don't know off the top of my head but I was struck by the different colours of their assemblage they weren't all wearing red they weren't all wearing blue they were like like parrots there was a kind of a crazy chaos of colour going on yep. and it made you know the, <laughs> the like Victorian period tribal significance yeah it, really really extraordinary and if you compare that to I've got in my mind a very famous photograph of Shackleton walking around in London just before he goes on his trans uh, transantarctic uh, journey in the nineteen uh, early early twentieth century, and you know that the the buildings are all quite brown and grey and and black and white, and everyone's wearing black suits and brown suits. It's a dirgy time as mm. opposed to, to mm. the you know going back in the past to where you may not expect it to be very colourful. It was very colourful. So we've got these areas where technology technology is kind of advanced and culture seems to be more modernised, but they just kind of forgot colour, it seems, mm. certainly in clothing. Mm. I mean, flip flip this on its head, you know, and think about a world without colour. 
and think about blindness, think about darkness, mm. think about absence of colour. People who are visually impaired, people who are colourblind and so perceive the world in, in particular ways. I want to connect this to World War Two, since we are, we're also writing a little volume on World War Two. We are, yeah. And I want to Colour the, bla- the blackout, the great. blackouts. Oh, so well, we talked great. about the sort of we talked about the the the, the colour of time and, and World War Two being sort of you know coloured in World War Two colour sets. But what about the absence of colour? And this made me think about the the blackout. So two days before war was declared, you know, a law was passed that people needed to switch out the lights, basically cover up, so that at night time nothing would be would be seen, and you know, there were various ways that you would do this. You'd either have these sort of thick curtains that you'd put up, and you can imagine that the expense of that for for people, you'd obviously switch out lights, um, you'd maybe turn off ovens and fires, things like that. And you had air raid precaution wardens, ARP wardens, who would go around and look at the houses and see that whether there was a sort of chink of light because they didn't want the you know, pilots coming across being able to bomb. Colour police, light police. Colour police. And there are a couple of accounts that I found. I mean, they're memories uh, that come from the BBC World War II People's War Project, which is a wonderful uh, oral history project capturing in an archival form memories of people who lived through World War II. And as as the decades go on, you know, people who lived through that period are, you know, are not around so it's so important that we capture their memory and here's one from Yorkshire and it was submitted by an archivist for a woman called Laura Barraclough everywhere you went during war at night was in blackout it was very dark walking out out at night no street lights or lights from shop windows everyone had a torch but you had to make sure you only held it down All the buses had very dim lighting inside and the headlights on the cars and buses had a shield on, so only a little light pointed down. Not that there were many cars on the road, only army vehicles as petrol was on coupon. You couldn't put your lights on in the house until you had put up your blackout. This was black material on a frame that just fitted your window. If you showed any light at all, you would have a knock on the door from the air raid warden. That was one of his jobs. And there's one other very short one here which was written by... A man called James Beresford, again in Yorkshire, and he was a small boy during the war. The first recollection of World War II was the introduction of the blackout. I was five years old, and I remember the huge effort to black out all the windows in the street where I lived. There was almost a party feel about the process. Everyone in the street placed suitable curtains or whatever method they chose to exclude light from showing... It must have been quite an expense for most families, but at the time I didn't think of that problem. The whole street came out after dark to check the results and comment on any houses that did not have complete blackout. For the remainder of the war, the cry of, Shut that light off! from air raid wardens still rattles through my brain. Mm. It really brings to light that... Yeah. You know, what conditions must have been like. It also raises the interesting question of people who spend a lot of their lives uh, in the dark. Yes. Whatever that might be. So you've got air raid wardens, you've got people um, patrolling around with the lights, but you, you can have miners, you can have people on ships who are watchkeeping at night. Yep. You have prisoners, submarines. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the, those people who, who specialise to work in, in, a, in a world devoid of colour. Yes. N- not through accident or, or, or uh, mischance by being colourblind, yep. um, but, but consciously and deliberately. And people who live in the northern, far northern hemisphere. Yeah. 
you know, for, for periods of the year, it is almost entirely black. That's interesting. Cause I've, I've been up there during the summer when it's, it never goes black. Yes. It's the opposite, isn't it? You have half of your year is saturated with light and colour and, and the rest of it isn't. No. Um, there's also, we haven't done any of this, but there's the history of colour. There's yes. people shining lights through prisms, uh, yes. which is fascinating as well. I think we might have to come back to colour. I think we might have to. It's puddles, puddles and oil. Ooh. I know. That, that, I think colour is great. It is. Yes. Yeah. Um, but we've sort of touched on race, but I mean, that's a huge sort of, yeah. you know, topic in itself. Skin colour. Yes. Hair colour as well. Hair colour. Because we yes. have, there's a, there's a oh. thing that James and I are very fond of, and it's a, it's a, it's a photograph of a guy, who, what was his name, who, who survived a scalping. William Thompson. He survived a scalping in the um, early 19th century, didn't he? Ginger hair. And, and <laughs> he had, there's a black and white photograph of him, but his, his hair actually survives, his scalp yes. survives, and it's long and lustrous and ginger. Yes. Um, History of hair colour. Let's do History that. History of hair colour. Well, yes. um, I think we should pause there. That was fascinating. And I think it's just the, the tip of the colour iceberg, James. I think it is. Um, if you've enjoyed what we're listening to, please check us out online, historiesoftheunexpected.com. Um, you can find us on Twitter. You can find us on Facebook. Facebook, Instagram, Instagram, Flickr, and you can YouTube. Us, you can come and see us live now as well. And you can read our books. And you can read our book. Book, books, book, plural. A book, book, and it depends when you're listening to this. If you're listening to this in a year's time, <laughs> um, there will be many books for there'll you. Be, there'll example. be a whole series for you to get involved in. But our, our, our actual book is, is just recently out called Histories of the Unexpected. We're enormously proud of it. There are 30 different chapters of strange histories to get your teeth into. Anyway, thank you very, very much indeed for listening. Thank you. Bye.